Welcome to episode 25 of Finding Your Fabulous. According to research conducted by Alcohol Change UK earlier this year, more than a quarter of us think that we started drinking more during lockdown. In honour of Alcohol Awareness Week, which takes place from the 16th to the 22nd of November, I wanted to record an episode to open the discussion on sobriety in an effort to normalise it. I've actually been sober for most of my life and this may come as a surprise to you because if my well pre-lockdown and actually even current lockdown Instagram content is anything to go by I love dancing I love going out and I'm always the first on the dance floor but rest assured that I don't need alcohol to do any of that and actually nightclubs used to really scare me and Indeed, you'll hear in this episode how I actually started crying the first time I went to the student union at university because it was just like overwhelming for me as as a sober girl. I made the decision to not drink alcohol because I was born with a pre-existing heart condition, which I had a lot of surgery for as a child. I actually did decide to give drinking a go in 2019 and while I had fun with it, you know, no major dramas or anything like that, um, over lockdown I've really begun to reassess what alcohol was actually adding to my life. You know, I've lived without alcohol and honestly I've realised that I'm happy to go teetotal again. That's my story with being sober and today's guest Tamsin has her own story, which I'm so excited for you to hear. I first met Tamsin when she reached out to ask me to be part of her photography exhibition, Sober Exposure. Tamsin's story is truly incredible and she shares some really honest insights about her journey with alcohol. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to another episode of Finding Your Fabulous. I'm here today with Tamsin Ward, who's the creator of Sober Exposure, a photographer and a recovering alcoholic. So I'm sure that will give you a bit of an indication as to what today's uh, topic is going to be and what we're going to be talking about. But Tamsin, welcome to Finding Your Fabulous. I'm really excited to talk to you and to talk to share everyone, share with everyone the journey both of us have been on with alcohol um, and to, you know, raise awareness of sober exposure, which is this wonderful project that you've started. So um, do you want to go ahead and explain a little bit about sober exposure and how it came to be? Hi, Sinead. Thank you so much for talking to me. You know, I really appreciate having this space to just talk about my project. And, um, you know, as we talked about a little bit earlier on, it's it's really good to just sit down and have an honest conversation about this stuff. I mean, at the end of the day, that all I've got is my experience. And I'll be as honest as I can be about my own experience. And um, hopefully something of what I speak about might resound with somebody else who's listening you know and if if that if that happens then that's great because I think we we all need to learn from each other Um, absolutely uh sober exposure um was an idea that I had for a photography exhibition about two years ago now and um as you mentioned in your introduction I'm a recovering alcoholic. I'm, I haven't had a drink for just over two years now. Um, I'm 50 <laughs> and I spent a large part of my 40s, I think, trying to come to terms with my relationship with alcohol. And I knew, I've, I've known for a very long time that I had a difficult relationship with alcohol. Um, 
And it was only really when I got into my 40s and I started trying to stop or trying to address those issues that um, I recognised that, um, you know, that I was actually an alcoholic and I choose to use that label to describe myself now. <clears throat> and um, when I eventually got sober, I looked back over my life and I looked at the different times in my life where I'd been using alcohol and where it had had the most detrimental effect on my life. And one of those times was when I was at university. And as you might be able to gather, that was a while ago now. So this was like in the 1990s. And I was at university in London for three years. And looking back at that now, I was a car crash. Wow. <laughs> Every decision that I made, the way that I live my life, everything that I had in my life was influenced by my relationship with alcohol, just primarily because I was putting alcohol before everything else, before my social relationships, um, before, definitely before my studies, you know, everything. And all the decisions that I made were really based on my relationship with alcohol. And, you know, look, looking back over that, looking now all these years later, I started to think what would have made a difference to me? You know, what would have made a difference when I was tw age 20 and I arrived at uni? And, um, you know, as soon as I got there, I was just swept up into this kind of world of freshers and half-price yep. drinks <laughs> yeah they really the culture at uni is so focused at drinking and I talked about this I know we haven't mentioned about sober exposure but I was actually in sober exposure as one of your subjects <laughs> um, um and I um I spoke about my experience when I got to uni we're actually recording this in Winchester the town where I went to uni um I actually cried the first time I went in the nightclub because I didn't drink and everything was just so overwhelming and heightened and I was seeing friends that I'd known like act completely different under alcohol and that was so scary and everyone talks about uni and they talk so much about hangovers and getting plastered and getting drunk and doing silly things but it's like all oh you you only live once and you're right universities don't help they charge things at such low prices that we can't resist mm -hmm. so what you know yeah go on tell, tell us about what how that kind of started you on that on that journey yeah so you're absolutely right and you know that that was my experience as well and what I realized was when I thought about university life and okay it granted it is a little bit different now I think we have there some progress has been made but back then and even even now there I think there was missing um space in university for a sober lifestyle so there wasn't room you know they were it wasn't being addressed it wasn't being talked about um and you know as i said one one of the things i think that would have i just i thought would really make a difference or would have made a difference to me would have been if i'd have seen that i had a choice and that i could have decided not to drink and i'd seen other people around me living their life in that way at university then actually at that point in my life I think I I might have made I don't know I mean who knows yeah. but 
there would have been space there for me to make that decision about living my university life very, very differently. And what, you know, what got me um, about this and what really made me want to do sober exposure. And it sounds, you know, when I look back at it now, I think, God, this sounds absolutely incredible. It didn't even cross my mind that I could not drink. I mean, it didn't, it wasn't anywhere in my head because it was just such a given that I had to go out and get plastered and be part of this lifestyle. And, you know, I didn't think about any of the, I mean, I don't know how much you want me to go into it, but we didn't talk about, you know, any of the effects of, of how alcohol was impacting my life. It was just, this is just what I have to do. So, um, you know, that was what sober exposure was, is about and was about when I created it. It was about making space for sober lifestyles at university. So what I did was, was I set about finding, um, initially 12 people who were or are of university age um, and also people who'd had experiences at university with alcohol and asked people if I could take their photograph and then asked them to write in their own words a little bit of their story and about why they'd chosen not to drink during university or why they why they've chosen to um kind of embrace this sober lifestyle and you know i'd I'd like to point out as well that um you know everybody in the exhibition has got a different story not everybody in the exhibition doesn't drink because they've had a problem with alcohol or because um you know they're like like me a recovering alcoholic there's a variety of different reasons you know there um, one of the reasons you took part in it was because you had issues with your health yeah yeah um, exactly um and you know there's so there's, there's a there are a variety of reasons behind it and you know i think i just wanted to normalize it to make it okay to be like that and I think you did a wonderful job with that representation. I think representation matters. And like circling back to what you said, if you'd had that representation when you were at uni and you did a really good job of, there were people who didn't drink for different reasons. It was like religion or me because of my health. Like you had a really well-rounded approach. And I think it, it really drove home the fact that people, there's a range of reasons why someone may choose not to drink. But the point is, it's okay to not to drink and normalizing it is so, so key. So what was the response? Did you have much, do people will get, was that the takeaway from sober exposure? Did you have people saying that they were seeing alcohol in a new way? Yeah, I mean, I think there's been a real variety of responses. I mean, initially the response that I wanted from sober exposure was to just get the issue on the table and to get people talking about it. And, you know, I'm not just talking about people at university of university age, although, you know, there's lots of different age groups at universities, but it was also, um, you know, the staff, all the services that go into it. And it, and it has had that intended effect. People are talking about it. And actually, um, it's at Chester University at the moment. And the, the media studies department have just made a film about it. And what they've done is, is 
they interviewed a group of students before they'd seen the exhibition and they talked about their attitudes towards alcohol that you know their per- and their personal relationship with it um and then they literally showed them the exhibition and they took their time reading the stories and looking at the photographs and then they interviewed them afterwards and there's some really really interesting feedback on it um you know i think uh there's certainly lots of discussion around um the pressure to drink and from what i've seen so far and i'm I, it seems that um certainly lots of young women really feel that pressure um and there was one conversation in in particular where um one of the the ladies says you know i'll go out on a weeknight at university and I know that I've, I've got an important exam or an early lecture or whatever the next day and I'll go out and I'll say no I'm not going to drink tonight or I don't want to drink I really don't want to drink tonight because mm-hmm. I know that this isn't going to be good for me mm-hmm. um, and you know she had encountered pressure to drink and had drunk because she didn't want to I mean I'm not I'm and this is the thing I'm not just talking about uh people who might really get themselves into trouble with alcohol and I'm not Mm. just talking about getting blind drunk I'm talking about people feeling the pressure even to have one or two drinks to fit in with the rest of the crowd yeah we do it to people please absolutely yeah and this (laughs) and this is something which um is quite central in my life (laughs) my therapist can relate yeah (laughs) I mean it's I'm really oh god I'm I'm really bad for people pleasing I have to watch myself all the I have to watch myself all the time um yeah it's something that I think when once I was aware of I realized how much I was doing it uh so if somebody for instance you know somebody might say to me well, years ago, oh yeah, go on, have a drink, <clears throat> and I didn't want to. I would have absolutely have had a drink to keep that person happy, because at that time in my life, I wasn't in touch with myself and with my own feelings and my own needs, because I was just so busy looking what what everybody else wanted for me. Yeah. And as women, we can tend to be people pleasers as well for so many reasons. Yeah, and even you know, even now I get a bit confused sometimes because I, th- I I think actually what what makes me happy, and I think well I'm happy if my husband's happy, I'm happy if my kids are happy, and I'm even happy if the dog's happy. <laughs> and that sounds ridiculous, but um, and I'll sit there and I will think right, all these people around me, friends, whoever, they're all happy. I've, I've managed to keep them all happy but and then the absolute last person on the list I'll think am I happy and then I'll think actually I don't know if I am because I've spent so much time looking at what everybody else wants and needs that actually you know in that split second I've completely lost touch with what it is that I want and I need 
So, it, you know, even now, just talking about it, I think it's quite confusing, isn't it? Yeah. And I think what you what you want, like you're saying, what makes you happy, thinking about that, what what is it you want, what you need, that is your truth. And this whole podcast is centered around owning your truth and stepping into your power. And that whole scenario you explained about someone discarding that their truth is I don't want to drink because I want to do well in this exam tomorrow I don't want to compromise my chances but when you give in to someone else you give someone else the power to affect your health your exam by saying okay fine I'll have a drink to please someone else but you're relinquishing you you have that power and you're relinquishing it so I think that's that's something that we should all give thought to when it comes to not just drinking but how we respond to other people and where we can take back our power and there was a quote that I saw on Instagram that I think sums this up quite nicely especially you said it's a problem amongst women and you see a lot of women like on Instagram or on social media I've had a long day I need a drink and I I saw this quote and I just thought it it summed up perfectly it says you don't need a drink you need a break you don't need rosé you need rest you don't deserve wine you deserve love and that's a quote by at January Harsh, H-A-R-S-H-E on Instagram. And I thought that was so poignant because you don't deserve to feel drunk. You don't deserve a hangover or to compromise your health. We're so used to these cues. And I thought it was interesting as well that when we celebrate, culture tells us to, to go to alcohol. But when we're sad, we're also told to go to alcohol. So what are some ways that people can maybe think to start taking back their power and change their thought patterns around alcohol? I just want to, uh, that's a really good question, but I just want to pick up as well on what, what you've just yeah. um, read out. And this is one of my absolute bugbearers. What I really, <laughs> what really drives me insane is when, I go into a card shop and I want to buy a card for one of my female friends and I look through all the cards and every single card has got a reference to alcohol, exactly what you said. Rosé, gin, Prosecco. Yeah, so, um, but it's all wrapped up in this kind of girly, airy, fairy um, way that's going to appeal to women. Like things like, for instance, the quote that I really hate is, you know, was it, I really in, enjoy cooking with wine. Sometimes oh. I add food to yeah. my... Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. And as women, that's actually really kind of demeaning. Yeah. Like, that's we're so much more than these alcohol... These, yeah, these alcoholic drinks that are associated with women and sold to us by... Com- it's all, like, marketed, right? It's it's capitalism, in a way. Yeah. And, um, yeah, we're, we're so much more than that as women. What about our strength or our ability to make someone laugh or things like that? Why is it always boiled down to that? But yeah, sorry, go on. I was asking you about taking back your power. <laughs> yes, yeah, but just, yeah, and that that, fee- that message is fed to us. That, that story is fed to us and it comes at us so many different angles all the time we've been fed that story. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you... I can understand how younger women, you know, young girls will look at that and it's completely around them. And, um, yeah, and I think you're absolutely right. It's um, how we take our power back. Um, And I I can only really speak for myself how I might have done that. And I think for me, for me, the, the best way that I can do that is be, honest with my feelings and for me that is the bottom line is owning how I feel and having the courage 
to talk about it and to let people know how I feel. And I've, I mean, my whole life I've struggled with that. I've always given my power to other people by fitting in with them and by keeping them happy and doing things their way. And it's only, I, I think, you know, in the last decade that I've started to try and, you know, own my own feelings and um, to be able to do that and to be able to be honest for me about, about how I feel about things. Um, I've also had to accept that I'm okay as I am because for a long time I was pretending that I was something else or that I was, I was somebody else and that actually I felt really guilty about feeling anger or I might have felt really guilty about feeling pissed off with somebody yeah. you know like why should I just smile and go along with this shit yeah <laughs> you shouldn't and it's very difficult we also when we when a feeling comes up we judge it we attach something yeah. to it or the other thing that for instance that feeling I might turn it in on myself so I might blame myself for having that feeling because I think ultimately there's something wrong with me. Well, you know, and this kind of narrative in my head will start saying, well, you shouldn't really feel like that or, you know, well, that's wrong. So if, if I think that I shouldn't feel like that, what do I do? I lie about it and I try and cover it up and I push it down. And I think, you know, that's, that's why one of the reasons I've looked for other substances in my life to to give me a high and to make me happy you know I've pushed it down with food I've pushed it down with alcohol I've pushed it down with spending and buying myself new clothes you know all these things that kind of feed in to that I pull into myself from the outside to try and make, try and make myself feel better I think are an, an effect of how I've pushed my feelings down and you know I am only just, I think, stepping into my power and I've just turned 50 last week. <laughs> it seems like 50 is the magic number because I have to say my mum is the same. Like, I'm actually really excited about getting older like because it seems like all the women in my life that I see who are getting older seem to be like leaning deeper and deeper into like being unapologetically them and it's really beautiful to see. So own it, keep owning it. But you're already so much way, you know, you're so much more kind of tuned in than I was at your age. I mean, the fact that we're even sitting here having this conversation and you've come to see me and we've come to talk about this. Oh, thank you. That's very kind of you to say, but yeah. You're already going down that road with your podcasts and your, you know, and your blog and the way that you view your life. Thank but you. Well, age of 50, you're going to be president fire. of the United <laughs> States. I don't know why I'm going to America, but I'm speaking to <laughs> Anyway, this is not as much as I, I love it. Well, isn't that topical right now? Don't forget to register to vote if you're listening to this in the United States. Um, let's, yeah, let's bring it back to you and, and alcohol. What's the one thing you wish people would realise about their drinking habits? I think, well, it... So I think there's different types of drinkers. Um, and because I am in recovery for, al for alcoholism... I recognise that there's that people have very different relationships with alcohol. So for somebody like me who I, I can't 
have one drink without getting absolutely slaughtered. That you know, I just mm. don't do that. And I, when I was drinking, I never did that. I could never go out and have one or two drinks. It just wasn't on the table for me. Yeah, I was all or nothing. Um, and also, uh, I mean, I could go for a while without a drink. I could go for a week or two without a drink, but I always went back to it, and that was always my coping mechanism. And I and it always ended up with um, me getting myself into trouble. You know, I can go into the ways I got myself into trouble if you're interested. <laughs> Please. <laughs> How much are you willing to share? <laughs> I mean, as a as a young woman, there were plenty of ways that I got myself into trouble. The first thing that I would say is that on so many nights out, I can't even count, I drank myself into um, blackout. And when I say blackout, I didn't really know what I was doing, who I was with, where I was going. And, you know, I put myself in really dangerous situations. I would go, you know, I'd be in the pub and then I'd go back with a bunch of people that I didn't know. A um, bunch of men, wouldn't really know where I was. Uh, I was living in London at the time. Um, I can remember a couple of occasions when I I could barely walk, but I was staggering around the back streets of Brixton on my own, three, four o'clock in the morning. Um, sleeping with people. Who I didn't really know. Uh, also, um, I'm just trying to trying to think. Um, financially, spending money that I didn't have. So spend spending my money primarily on alcohol um, when I might have had rent due and all sorts of other things. That alcohol always came first. Um, and now I've forgotten what the the other part of the question uh, was. What was the one thing you wish people knew? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So for for me, um, for people like me, I would say the one thing that that you can know is that there is life without alcohol, and that I can honestly say, hand on heart, that if you're willing to address your issues and you're ready to go go and get help for your issues and own the fact that you might have a difficult relationship with alcohol then a life without alcohol is just I mean my life has just been amazing since I've stopped drinking god I thought it was going to be so boring yeah I just thought that I don't know I and for a long time I thought that if you didn't drink you were really dull you know I just thought I thought that's how people were. Like, why wouldn't you want to get pissed all the time every day? You know, God, how boring are you? Yeah. I was kind of fed into this rock and roll star narrative that, and I surrounded my pe- myself with people like that. So I was always kind of supporting this story. But I can honestly say that since I've um, addressed the issues and I went to help and I went um, into a 12-step organisation... That I, I'm just I'm I am probably like a different person, but I'm so happy. I'm, I'm, I've got everything that I need in my life. Um, I've got gratitude for the things that I've got around me. I had all the things before when I was drinking, but I just couldn't see them because I was too busy just having a relationship with alcohol. 
And one of the things she was saying about, um, you know, what what would be useful to know. And so, yes, I said for me as an alcoholic, it's good to know that you can go and get help and that life isn't boring without alcohol. But for somebody who isn't an alcoholic or maybe is a heavy drinker or, you know, just, you know, for whatever reason, um, just wants to go out and drink mindfully, I suppose. That's yeah. a bit of a term at the moment. Intentionality and mindfulness, yeah. Yeah, I think um, what I would say is, um, I, th- I think as we've talked a bit about peer pressure, just kind of trying to own how you feel about it. So maybe let people know that you're going out with, that you're trying to maybe not drink as much. Just let people know where you are and make um, make choices about where you go and what you do that might support that way. Yeah. You know, we don't we don't have to go. Well, at the moment, nobody's really going to pubs. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> But actually, that might be a different story because there will be people stuck at home or maybe even if we're talking about university age, that well, those poor people that are stuck in halls on lockdown at the moment. I think that's got to be more difficult. But, you know, you, you can let your friends know what you're trying to achieve um, and maybe think about some of your friendships if it, because if true friends will actually support you in what's, what's right for you absolutely that's very much my experience so I didn't drink the whole time I was at uni and yeah I did learn who my friends were in many ways I have to say I think because I had a health condition I would say I don't drink because of my heart condition people would kind of back off they'd be oh yeah I understand like that's fine I'm not going to pressure you but also yeah friends who understood that I didn't always want to go out that the student union every night wasn't for me like people who wanted to meet for coffee and or you know go for a walk or do something different that those friends you know it really says a lot and sometimes you've got to be the person in the friendship group who says you know what I'm I actually don't want to drink I'm not going to drink tonight and um you'll be surprised actually the right people will either follow your lead or they'll respect it and they'll lead you to it yeah and I, I think as well when I was drinking really heavily it was only when I stopped and I looked at how much other people were drinking that I realised actually other people weren't drinking that much because I was usually probably the most drunk one in the group. But and and you know in the same way that I kind of might have been attracted to like those hardcore party people, when you do start to live your your life in a different way and maybe drink more mindfully, you will naturally find a group of people that kind of mirror that way of life because if you're you know if you're out with people and you only have one or two drinks and everybody else that you're with gets kind of shitless you don't want to be around those people because they're really annoying when you're so oh my god I hate it it's it's the my least favorite thing like when I was at uni I used to I would be known to leave at like and this is the thing I hate about I hated about going out is you had to leave like you go for prudence and you'd leave at 10 I'd be tired like by the time we get there um but yeah I would just go when my friends would get really drunk and start you know just being annoying I would just leave without telling anyone because I just I have no patience Well, see, that that's really good advice. That's you being able to do what you needed to do to look after yourself. And, you know, I can remember scenarios while I'd be sitting in a pub 
And you know that time, you know, you say, oh, I'm a bit tired, I want to go home, and everybody's like, oh, no, go on, stay for one more. You I mean, that, God, that happens all the time yeah. all over the country. Oh, go on. Yeah. You know, now what I would do when I do occasionally go out with a group of people that are drinking, I try not to do that, is actually I might say quietly to one person, I'm just slipping out. I don't do that big like, right, I'm going now, everyone, because I don't give people the chance to start doing that. That's really smart. So if I just go and um, slip out quietly... Then people might notice, uh, but they they might all be getting really drunk, and mm. they're not really aware what's happening. No. So it means that you don't have to go through that whole kind of rigmarole. It's quite a British thing, isn't it? Like <laughs> right, being like making the announcement, but that's a very tactical thing. And I think that like, boundaries are so important. That's been such a big lesson for me in lockdown. Boundaries with like how people can have access to me and technology and things like that. But um, learning how that boundaries and other how to implement boundaries in other parts of your life that's such a good one because they don't know you might have to wake up tomorrow and do something really important for you and them saying oh stay for a drink yeah you I I think as it's an ego thing you like the idea that people want you to stay and they want oh my god they they value my company so much but are they going to be the ones waking up tomorrow to do that thing that you really want to do that you might you know have plans for so I like that tactic. I'm definitely going to adopt that. Be yeah. sleeping out. And also having an escape route. Mm. Because you might be in a scenario where you're reliant on somebody else oh, leaving. Yeah. Or, you know, there's... So uh, what I do in my recovery, if I'm in that situation, is I always make sure that I've got an escape route. So, and actually, when you're, when, when you're not drinking, you, you're driving, you're much more independent anyway. But always, I'll always think before I go anywhere, right, if it gets too much or if I've had enough of being around these people, I know that I can just go. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, that's the really good bit of advice, even for, you know, if you're going somewhere and you're only having one or two drinks. Mm-hmm. not saying you can drive but yeah. <laughs> you know think about yeah. yeah especially as a woman like I always have to think about this when I'm going out in London like and because I, I don't live in London and I have to commute I'm always staying with a friend and luckily it's never fallen through but I'm like what if that person wants to go home with someone else like, like you always have to think about this yeah yeah and obviously you try and do it in a safe way mm-hmm. you know and I think um as a woman it's always good to let somebody know that you're going mm-hmm. And so, you yeah. know, if there's a friend there that knows what you're doing. Yeah. But, um, yeah, there's, there's, there's a few ways that you can do it, yeah. I think. So, obviously, when we were talking about how you wanted to be introduced, you mentioned saying that you're a recovering alcoholic and you kind of, you own that term. You mentioned it a few times mm-hmm. over the course of this interview. Do you think there are people who might be alcoholics but not be comfortable or able to recognise that they're able to, that, you know, that, they, that that's what they are or identify with that term? Yeah, definitely, because there's so much stigma around the term um, alcoholic. Uh, I used to think that you could only be an alcoholic if you were sitting on a park bench, you know, with a bottle bottle of um, gin in a brown paper bag. You know, you could only be an alcoholic if you woke up every morning and reached for the bottle, you know, or that you had to be an old man mm-hmm. or that, you know, there's all these kind of stereotypes about what an alcoholic looks like. And actually, um, for me, I am an alcoholic. Um, I didn't lose everything. I had my husband, I had my kids, I had my house, my car, um, 
I'm an alcoholic who didn't drink every day and you know one and how I class myself as an alcoholic is once I started drinking I couldn't stop and I used to you know even if I picked up one drink I would end up either in blackout or I would end up vomiting or you know I would just drink myself until I passed out um and also that I couldn't live my life without alcohol so I kept you know I kept going back to it and and even on the days when I wasn't drinking I was obsessing about it so I'd either I'd either wake up in the morning and think right I'm not going to have a drink today right I'm definitely not going to have a drink today I had too much last night I'd wake up feeling really bad beating myself yeah. up because I'd had too much the night before definitely not going to have a drink feeling really shit oh I know what I'm going to do I'm going to eat some really healthy food that'll be all right then by three four o'clock in the afternoon I'd be thinking wow you know I could just have one more I could just have one more um at tea time and then I thought, oh, I'll just have one. You know, it might make me feel a bit better. And then I would get absolutely shit-faced again. But then I did have days when I wouldn't have that one. But I'd be thinking about it all the time. It would be on my mind the whole time. When can I have a drink? Well, I didn't have a drink then. So maybe maybe I'll go a couple of days or, you know, or, you know, so it was on my mind the whole time. I was trying to control it the whole time. You know, pe people that don't have issues with alcohol tend to just drink when they want a drink or they might you know or, or they could maybe have a bottle of wine in the fridge that is half full or you know I never had that if there was wine in the fridge it was screaming at me you know there's uh, so I mean I choose to 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 say that I am an alcoholic and I, like I say I go to 12-step meetings and those meetings teach me to live my life without a drink and to help me stop picking up a drink. I'm really pleased for you, Tamsin. It sounds like you're in such an amazing place and really appreciate you sharing your journey with us. And um, you've shared so many incredible insights and I'm sure people are sort of going to rethink their, not just their relationship with alcohol, but I think, like you mentioned, there's other things we numb with, with food, with I know I'm guilty of social media or like oh, yeah. spending social media. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts? Yeah. I mean, I just, I just find that anything that, that will give me that little hit or that little high, I'm there, I'm on it, Yeah. you know, and I have to watch it all the time. And it's like that thing. Cause I love my Instagram. Yeah. Me too. Well, yeah, if you listen to this podcast, you probably yeah. know me through Instagram. <laughs> well, I was yeah. on Facebook and I came off yeah. it because I was, scrolling 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 yeah. always looking for that one story or that one post that was going to give me like a little oh so I came off that went on to Instagram and now I have to really I mean if I post something on Instagram I'm literally picking up yeah. my phone every where the d dopamine hit like <laughs> yeah I mean we're we're a bit like rats in a cage yeah, really. yeah we are 
We are. I think the key with Instagram, I, I struggle with, I know so many people my age, we have these endless conversations, and not just my age, like my my mum too, anyone who uses Instagram, I think Instagram is an incredible source of, as we were speaking, networking, community, creativity. For creatives, it's fantastic. I've met people from around the world, you know, we, we shared thoughts, we... I have a weekly film club with two girls in Texas that I met on it through Instagram. Like it's, it's an amazing source, but you have to be so mindful of those boundaries. And like with alcohol, it's being mindful, asking yourself, what do I need? Okay, why have I come on Instagram? Okay, well, I don't really know why I've come on here. Maybe I should, maybe, do I actually need a, like a drink of water? Like what, what do I actually need? And it just gets so distracting, but like I'm very strict with, I always turn try and turn my phone off by 10 p.m and then I don't turn it on in the morning until I've done something for myself so that's like yoga maybe meditation or like you know something for myself but yeah it's it it's the same thing we need to reassess how we're numbing ourselves and ignoring our feelings so to to round off the episode I want to ask you um what's one way you'd like my listeners to own their power this week okay I and, and this is this probably is not groundbreaking. <laughs> I think it's just about giving yourself half, 20 minutes, half an hour space a day where you're on your own, whether you're sitting in your bedroom or where you haven't got any interruptions, if you can manage that. I know with young children, it's a bit, bit more difficult. Where you're just sitting without your phone on in silence and firstly thinking about things in life that you're grateful for because I try and do that as much as I can I try and look around me and see what I am grateful for because that immediately puts me in a good space but you know and and secondly think about doing one what one thing could you just do for yourself that day that's it can be anything you know, anything that you want to own and do for yourself, um, something that you've chosen, not because it makes some, not because it's down to duty or not because it makes somebody else happy, you know, or it's something on your to-do list. So, um, you know, it, for me, that could be something like reading a chapter in a book or sitting down because I've got a, loads of photography books I just love looking through my photography books and looking you know it's just just making time just to do that one thing and it doesn't even have to be for very long but I think that for me that helps me just get in touch with the things that make me feel good and the things that make me feel happy no love that so go take back your power take your 20 minutes and do something for you well thank you tamsin oh and how can people find you on instagram or wherever else on the internet yes so on instagram i am tamsin t-a-m-s-y-n underscore ward w-a-r-d-e um and if you go there you can find the link to sober exposure wonderful Sober Exposure um, website, www.soberexposure.co.uk. And then there's tamsinwardphotography.com. Woman of many talents. <laughs> well, thank you, Tamsin. Um, I'm sure you'll get many people following you from this and coming to check out your profile. Um, yeah, thanks for being on the podcast. Oh, thanks, Sinead. It's been great to talk to you. Aww. 
You've made it to the end of another episode of Finding Your Fabulous, and I want to thank you for listening. If you're still here, that must mean you're pretty into what I'm doing. So I want to ask you to take one minute of your day to do one little thing that would really make my day and help me grow Finding Your Fabulous. Share this episode to your Instagram story so all your friends know what exceptional taste you have in podcasts and tag me at Finding Your Fabulous or at The Sinead Khan or maybe both if you're feeling generous. Love you lots, stay golden, stay in your power and stay fabulous.